Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Indie Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Rory has been kind enough not to lend us the time machine for this one, but um, myself, Billy Johnson, uh, Daniel and Adam are here, and we are going to be looking at independent wrestling from 20 years ago. Um, Dan, it's lovely to have you on, and same with Adam, and chaps, if you just want to do your uh, introductions... Um, hello, yeah, Daniel here. Looking forward to to starting this, this journey and looking forward to sort of seeing what matches we we find along the way. Maybe down the road you'll you'll send us in some some things that we've we've missed or things we haven't even thought about. But yeah, several hundred probably promotions for us to think about and loads of wrestlers are here, there, and everywhere who aren't in the WWF for us to keep up with. Looking forward to it. Hey, hey, yeah, it's um. It's certainly going to be an interesting project. I know when I was sort of putting together matches to to view on the list, I almost covered one of them included Kurgan versus Bobby Roode, but oh, God. I, don't know, I, I just couldn't bring myself to, to watch it. I... It sounds like a lot of fun, to be perfectly honest with you, Adam. <laughs> well, I looked it up. I, this this month, they actually had, uh, I think it was three individual bouts for the R.A.W. title. So, you know, I, it's not like I didn't have choice. And I, but, you know, I just, you know, there's, there's only so much Kurgan one person can take in a lifetime. <laughs> That's very true, Adam, very true. <laughs> so, we might as well crack on and uh, we're going to get to the news now. Yeah, so uh, through through the news of um, May, I found the following thing. So um, Harlem Heat's Stevie Ray decided that he wanted to set up his own promotion, the UWF, or the United Wrestling Federation, UWF, with some mixed uh, sort of connotations. If you think back to Bill Watts, not so bad. Uh, Herb Abrams, very bad. But um, this one was pretty much a non-starter um, using the tagline WWF Wrestling presents WCW Wrestling Superstars. Why they need to use the word wrestling when they've already got the W's in the WWF and WCW, I don't know. But yeah, what a, what a great way to, to sell it. And I'm pretty sure uh, WWF Legal was on that quite quickly to shut that down. But they promised shows at the end in the end of, end of May into June. Had a quick look, couldn't see a thing. So pretty sure it never really happened. What else do we have? Um, Wrestling, Wrestling Express, a company here in the UK, we're going to start up a show advertised to start in October. Maybe something that we look forward to when we get to October to see how that show ever pans out. Um, what else do we have? Um, OVW. So um, we've decided that OVW, while yes, a subsidiary and sort of affiliated to the WF, still independently owned. So we may dip into them throughout our time, not this month, but maybe in the future. They've got their last show coming up at the Louisville Gardens in the end of June. So that's going to be a big show, promise. So maybe next month we'll see what we can find in there. Other, elsewhere, um, Terry Funk, Fit Finley and Chris Cannon came over to Germany for a couple of shows. So, yeah, even another place we hadn't probably thought of outside of North America and the UK, maybe even see what's going on in the European scene. And then finally... the Final bit of news I found was uh, Jacques Rougeau, the, the Mountie himself, trying to book Hogan for a show in Montreal. Hmm, interesting to say the least. Guys, thoughts on on what I found? 
Well, clearly Jock wants to go over Hulk, right? Well, yeah. Apparently, he apparently um, way back when Hogan happily did the did the did the job in for, Mon- for Jock in Montreal just because he's the local hero. Whether he'll be willing to do that kind of business again, brother, I don't know. <laughs> you never know with the Hulks, though. You you certainly never know. Right. Um, yes, he, he certainly um, has had um, a fun year out of WCW and. Um, putting over jock in montreal um well <laughs> how the mighty have fallen shall i say adam your thoughts or did you manage to find sort of any other pieces of news that i may have missed as i sort of seem to shoehorn myself into like the uk coverage uh for this show the, the wrestler express stuff um certainly got my interest announced so it's a commentary skydome on 20th of october is what they've announced and they've announced uh, Rob Van Dam is supposed to be supposed to be main eventing, which is interesting considering on the WWF show last month there was talks of Rob Van Dam having contract negotiations. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out, if at all, with regards to that. Also announced for the show, uh, Psychosis even to Guerrero, Vampira, and Steve Carino, as well as people from the FWA and NWA Hamelock groups, which itself is interesting because the history of the FWA and NWA Hammerlock isn't exactly a smooth one. I know when um, guys like Alex Shane, Jody Fleiss, Johnny Storm, Doug Williams went to do FWA shows, that was essentially the end of their Hammerlock time uh, because of a disagreement between themselves and Andre Baker with regards to doing those shows. I don't know the full extent of it, but he did essentially write them off as talents, although that's worked out quite well for the FWA as they got four top-tier guys out of it. And apparently things between the two sides haven't haven't been smoothed over in, in the couple of years since that happened. Um, also, Sonny Ono, of all people, has cropped up in, involved with this. Um, ah, yes. <laughs> sure, why not? Because <laughs> <laughs> when, when, you, when you think of great wrestling minds, Sonny Ono is... is Right up there with um, Herb Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're what ten or so minutes in or, or less, and we've mentioned Herb Abrams twice. This is this is going this is going swimmingly. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely an independent wrestling podcast. That's for damn sure. <laughs> well, thank you for the news, lads. Um, I'm quite would love to see what Stevie Ray comes up with um, going forward, and. Um, yeah, Hogan doing the job to, to Jock. It should be a very interesting few months coming up. Um, we're keeping an eye on some of the former WCW and ECW guys on this show. So, yeah, let's um, all jump into what matches we picked. And, um, Dan, let's uh, start with you, as you um, so wonderfully read the news off there. You might as well start <laughs> with you. Sure. And uh, what was your first match that you picked for the month? Okay, well... This is this is awkward because this match actually happened in April, but um, I felt the need to sort of include it as just part of my sort of fascination with the uh, NWA, and I picked the uh, NWA World Title match between Steve Carino and Mike Rapada. It's, it's uh, all right, mate. We all know it takes forever to get these bootleg tapes off the internet. It's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there we go. Yeah, put it, put it down. Put it down to that then. Yeah, uh, but um, yeah, I p- picked this just. Uh, because um, yeah, kind of interesting sort of fascination with, with the NWA sort of through my sort of wrestling sort of growing up, and whether it be 
their affiliation with WCW kind of on and off and then cropping up sort of much later in 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 TNA as, as we'll as we'll sort of breach towards in the next sort of nine months or so. Um this sort of period of the NWA, this um in between sort of well, pre-TNA sort of role, I had nothing I had no clue of. So I went back and sort of saw how it was going and saw yeah that Steve Carino was involved. So kind of big sort of good fan of his from from ECW. So figured this would be a good match to start start off this kind of journey on. I'm not saying I'll do an NWA title match or match every month, but let's let let's just say I'll, I'll be checking there first probably for at least one of the matches each month. I think we all need an NWA guy here, Dan, and that's definitely fallen to your lap, my friend. Yeah, I, I, I guess yeah. If, if Adam's going to be our our report on the UK scene, I'll I'll go back to the to the old traditional NWA and see see how they're getting on. Right. So um, match starts with a micropod on the offensive, turnbuckling Carino uh, twice, and then throwing him over the top rope. I paused for a moment there. I thought, hang on, could this be a DQ? But don't worry, it's not It's not that kind of NWA, WCW level. Matt carried on. Carino back in the ring, blocks a back body drop with a kick, but uh, Rapido shoves Carino into the corner and follows up with quick shoulder thrusts. Carino reverses, uh, Irish whip into the other corner, and then Rapido bails to the outside, getting a bit of heel heat. Rapido then gets on the mic for some heel work, but sucker punches Carino whilst the referee's dealing with getting the mic out of the ring. To get the advantage, a couple of quick two counts, but no, no win there. Uh, Carino then, oh, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Carino back in control for a minute, but then Rapido goes to the eyes. Cannot keep the advantage. Carino reverses again. It's quite a back and forth match this, with a reversing a power driver, but then Rapido quick slam for a two, and another cradle for yet another two. Ref bump though, as Rapido reverses a Carino Irish whip. Mm, I, could, I, could, I got a bit concerned where this was going with it with a ref bump so early on. But not, but not to worry, a new referee comes in, and the referee's Bill Alfonso. Well, didn't expect him to, to pop up, to, but there we go. He's got to get a job somewhere, I guess. Rapada brings in a, a wooden chair and does a drop toe hold to Steve Carino, which busts him open. Didn't realise it was a no-DQ match, but hey, with Fonzie and Carino in the ring, couldn't be too surprised. Carino, yes, I say, busted open, and Rapada punched his head to open up the wound. Carino proving he loves the NWA with uh, with his bleach blonde hair, Ala Flair and Rhodes going for the full crimson mask look. Could it be 83? Well, it may as well be. Carino, but then drop kicks the chair into Rapada um, to knock him down. Ten punch and then a super kick by Carino for a two. The dusty special of punches and elbows for another two. But still Rapada gets up. Rapada goes for a power slam, but then Karina reverses that into the old-school expulsion for the win and the title in about 12 minutes. Back and forth, like as I said there, with a lot of re- reversals, but I would say it wasn't wasn't amazing, but just interesting to see it. Well, from what I've been reading off of the um, Death Valley Driver um, forum, is um, this was a pretty solid match, and um, from top to bottom... Um, yeah. had a good showing against Steve and I'm looking to, forward to seeing where Steve's uh, run with the NWA title goes. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping um, it sort of goes a bit sort of classic sort of Steve Carino, king of the old school and old school NWA, a bit of a, a lengthy reign. Obviously, we get to um, 2002 and it's with the with TNA, so there's, there's some sort of issues along the way, but I've got, I'm reading sort of ahead, but not to be a spoiler, I think Carino holds the belt for a little while, so 
as I said, not, might not necessarily have an NWA match every month, but if it's if Carino's involved, we'll probably keep him in. Adam, your any thoughts from you? Um, yeah, I, I was while you were sort of bringing this up, I was sort of uh, researching this in the background because I I was aware Carino had the NWA title. I was I wasn't aware it was just the single time because um, actually. I know at some point during this reign, he comes, he does a mini tour of the UK, um, accidentally loses it on the first night. <laughs> so the rest of the tour, him and Gary Steele um, are facing off until he eventually beats Gary at the end of the tour, which I actually might, I might see if I can track down one of those matches, although I'm not sure because it's, if you actually check on any official website, never happens. That, that may prove difficult for me. <laughs> There might be a fan cam footage out there somewhere. I'm guaranteed mm. that that probably pop up somewhere. Here's hoping. But yeah. Yeah. Good stuff for the NWA. Okay, Adam. Well, let's uh, get a move away from the NWA and uh, over to the UK, I believe. Both, only one of my matches from the UK this month. Um, Oh, you're letting the team down, Adam. Letting the team down. We all talked the UK. There was, was, uh, because obviously when we first talked about this, I was bringing up the FWA stuff a lot. And although the FWA this month did have a title tournament, because at the end of last month, their belt was held up. Um, The the footage of which isn't actually going to be broadcast till June and July. So I will probably be covering the footage as it comes out on TV. Um, but yes, unfortunately, it was held up at the end of last. Their title was held up at the end of last month due to Justin Richards no showing a show, which is bad because it means the title was vacated. But it was good because um, we got actually a really nice um, Douglas Williams versus Nova match out of it. Nothing against Justin Richards. I've, I have nothing against him in combinations with Doug Williams or Nova, but I just mm. don't like triple threats. Um, but yes, I would have covered that match had it happened this month, but. It happened last month, and my other match is already happening last month, so I figure I should keep try and keep current with with one of my matches. So, sorry, sorry, Doug and Nova, maybe another time. <laughs> Instead, so, yeah, the, the one UK match I'm covering is from WAW Fightmare, which is the event that happened last month. Um, I did, but I figured just because of the size of the event itself, is it should get mentioned. Um, possibly because I don't know if it, when the next time we'll be covering a WAW event will be. But yeah, WAW had their Flightmare event on the 21st of April um, held at the Norwich Sports Village and over 2,000 people attended it. Um, it actually got a fair bit of local coverage in the local press. Even BBC Look East did a piece on it um, building up, which is really awesome of the BBC um, to do that because it possibly helps in some way Draw in, you know, drawing attention from some of the local fans. Um, 11 matches on the card, over 40 wrestlers. Um, I'm going to do a quick rundown of the card before I do the matches, before I do the ladder match itself, because um, I do have thoughts on the on the card as a whole. I mean, the, the whole because the whole setup, so I watched the whole event, the whole setup for the event really looks great, especially for, for a UK indie show. Um, the camera work was amazing, unfortunately, the audio considerably less so. Um, there and the lighting as well. <laughs> Let's just be honest. No, the, the lighting really, the lighting on the ring was really well done. Actually, I, um, you could I could see everything in this match clearer than I could in the other match I'm, I'm going to be covering shortly. 
So that's a sign the lighting was doing something right. But no, the audio was awful. They, it didn't help that when it came to announcers, they just used uh, they used wrestlers from who'd been on the show. So you, you had um, at varying points, you had Ricky Knight, Rob, Robbie Brookside, Sweet Soraya, Drew McDonald, and Hot Stuff all doing commentary spells. And the way it was edited, um, well, the way the sound was, you, you couldn't really hear the announcers for the most part, especially Brookside. Um, in fact, half the matches, I could hear one of the kids in the front row better than I could hear Brookside. Um, <laughs> which, which is a shame because I feel he was possibly offering slightly better analysis than, you know, every other, he- than half the heels on the roster. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they, but the, like I said, the, the video looked really good. Um, they had Chirons for everyone, although unfortunately they were people coming out with belts and they weren't being announced as the champions on, on the Chirons, which was a shame. Um, the matches consist, uh, so there are 11 matches, start with Jimmy Ocean defeat Battle Cat in the opener. Uh, next match, James Mason defeated model Dale Preston. Uh, Rick, James Mason really over for some reason. I'm guessing he had half his family in the crowd because there they, they weren't that many other people over. Um, in for the British Championship, Hot Stuff retained against Ricky Knights uh, in a Force Count Anywhere match. Robbie Brookside defeated Drew McDonald's. Uh, not I mean, look. There was whoever wrote these results is wrong because Drew. Sorry, Drew McDonald defeated Robbie Brookside after Drew McDonald's second Emma broke up a t- broke up a pinfall with with Robbie Brookside, and Jimmy Ocean ran in and nailed Robbie Brookside with a kendo stick while the referee was distracted. In a hardcore match, Bulk defeated uh, one of the Academy guys named Poison. In a tag team match, Johnny Storm and Paul Terrell defeated Danny Royal and the Brixton Brawler. Oh, they did. They did a. Yeah, I couldn't find anything on this Brixton Brawler guy, which is a shame. He actually, although he he looked like my bin man, he actually could <laughs> go quite a bit in the ring. But his name sort of crops up occasionally. But there's he's got like almost zero online presence from what I can make out. Um, there was also a tables match in which Big Dave defeated Lee Max. Um, interestingly, they had a stipulation where you had to pin someone after they'd gone through a table um, which is okay. great because otherwise this match would have ended after about 30 seconds but I mean if anyone listened to my to me going off on uh, when covering No Mercy last year you'll know what my thoughts are on the tables match and it's basically um, it, it's kind of like my thoughts on WWF Taz in, in that it was an amazing spectacle at Royal Rumble 2000 and has just been carted out to, as a throwaway <laughs> opening match gimmick ever since. Uh, in the so the latter match, which I'll be covering in a second, uh, Zebra Kid uh, retained the cruiserweight title against Jody Fleisch. Uh, there was a women's tag team match in which Julie Starr and Sheena Summers defeated Nikki Best and Sweet Soraya. Uh, there was a world title match in which Tiger Steel defeated Big Dave, which brings up another issue I have. Um, Tiger Steel is an American guy. Who looks Kind of like a younger Kevin Nash. I'm get, basically, I feel he's what Kevin Nash would have been had he not had the political connections. But yeah, so th- this was the world title match. Originally, it was going to be Tiger Steel against PN News, but apparently they did yeah. an angle where where the Pitbulls took out PN News earlier in the night, but for some reason... That's a lot of girth night, in that ring. That is a lot of girth. <laughs> that is a lot of girth, yeah. For some reason... 
they edited out that angle. It was just mentioned a couple of times throughout the night on the commentary, <laughs> which, as I've mentioned, was almost, was at points unhearable. So, so that's why Big Dave ended up wrestling twice because he felt, as the hometown boy, he should get the world title shot. And it was actually, you know, a good sort of big man match the two had. And the weirdest choice for the last match of the night was a number one contendership for the cruiserweight title, featuring mostly the WAW Academy lineup, mm-hmm. which which was an odd, which was definitely an odd choice because most of the guys were just wearing jeans and a t-shirt. You had uh, Steve, Quint- <laughs> Steve Quintain in there, um, who a lot of people, who people might not know him, but he's an old world of sport guy. So there was at least one guy in there with experience. Um, winner was a guy named Bash, whose guy does a baseball gimmick. Teams up with a guy named Crash, um, and they oh my they guys, wear, <laughs> they, they wear the baseball gimmick, and it would have stood out had they been in there against people who were wearing gear. The sign of how bad some of the gears in this battle royal was one of the guys was just wearing shorts and the type of shorts he was wearing looked like they weren't his gear it's just that he turned up without any and was forced to do it in his pants oh dear there are there are probably americans listening to that line thinking who would make you do that and it's a case of (laughs) there are some schools out here that still do um but yeah that like i said that was an odd odd beats to finish the night on because it was actually because most of the matches if not great were, were at least fairly strong and that one was just kind of all over the place and it just seemed like an odd way to finish the night and again it ended so Bash cut a promo on um, the Zebra Kid saying obviously he's now number one contender but like I said the, the audio is that not that great. in fact this is a thing that I feel is going to be consistent for at least the next few years on this pod but it, if there's anyone out there thinking of starting up their own indie promotion and doing their own production, do yourself a favor and record the audio separately. Separately, it will sound. It will take a lot longer in the edit, but it will sound a lot better because we'll be able to hear what your guys are saying on the microphone. Um, but that costs money, Adam. You know, money that the knights are not willing to put in. <laughs> I mean, it's not just the knights. I what, like I said, I watched the the FWA show that happened this same weekend up in Bolton and oh whoever did the production for that should be hung out should be yeah, hung from a tree oh yeah I will... that's the thing isn't it I, th- I think um, just in this sort of first month of doing this I think I think I've, sort of, I've noticed sort of one thing that um, while the wrestling quality might be might be of a, a, a good standard that we'll we'll see and com- com- comparable if not better than something's on the on the WWF show, the production and the commentary, yeah, not so much for some of the things. Not so much. No, it doesn't help that a lot of these people they just they just think you stick a, a camera's got a microphone and that work, and it, mm. it doesn't. It, it picks up ambient noise, but if you pick up if you do a separate line for your audio, um, it, you can then place your audio over the top and mix it in so it doesn't get lost in with the ambient noise. But apparently whoever did the production on this show uh, didn't, which is a shame because, like I said, the video quality was actually of a really high standard. It was easily a higher quality than um, probably so, than some of the other matches I sort of uh, attempt, I was sort of flicking through to when I was considering what matches to cover today. Um, but yes, moving on to the ladder match. 
uh, which is the match I'm, uh, I chose to cover. Uh, let's bring up my, my play-by-play -play here. So like I said, this is for the Cruiserweight title. Um, again, when they came, as they came out, the Chirons didn't state who the champion was. Fortunately, Sweet Soraya came over on the audio stronger than, I think she was with Brookside again, but again, Brookside might as well have not been there most of the time he was doing commentary. Just going to say, so as Flash comes out, he celebrates with, with the audience. And despite being a smaller guy, I, I think he really, really looks like something. There's just something about him. Uh, as the MC makes the announcement, he announces Jody Fleisch as Jody Flash. I kind of <laughs> wish he was called that for no other reason. It's a lot easier to spell. <laughs> Both wrestlers have their fans. Uh, start off, Zebra poses on the turnbuckle. Jody goes to do the same on the other one, and Zebra attacks him and beats him down in the corner. Jody counters a buckle whip with a backflip, followed by an arm drag and a rana. Shoulder tackle knocks Jody down, and Zebra hits the rope, only to catch, ah, to catch a quick spin kick. Apparently, I've had too many beers to say that sentence once. <laughs> Zebra reverses a corner whip and nearly decapitates Fleisch with a clothesline. Michinoko driver followed by a charge to the corner. Jody dodges and does a sunset flip powerbomb for a two. Uh, I think the ref just humoured him there. But, I mean, to be fair, the move was impactful and kicking out would take effort on Zebra's part, so I guess there's some element of psychology. You know, you've got to weigh your, your opponent down to climb that ladder. So Jody clotheslines uh, Zebra out before doing an awesome shooting star press to the outside. Uh, Jody back in the ring while Zebra gets a ladder from under it. Uh, Jody then drop kicks it, the ladder in his face as he gets on the apron. Uh, Jody takes another leap to the outside but eats the railing. Zebra's more than happy to serve him a second course, uh, then grabs the ladder to work over him some more. Zebra ducks a clothesline but takes a flying head scissors. Back body drop to Jody over the railing, but he lands on his feet and responds with a springboard runner, although his first attempt he nearly slipped off and broke his neck. Jody works him over with the ladder. Zebra responds with a slam on the ladder before getting back in the ring. Springboard drop cuts off Zebra's first attempt at climbing. Jody gets whipped into the ladder. Jody on the top rope. Zebra goes for a superplex off the ladder, but Jody pushes him off before hitting a moonsault off of the ladder. Goes for a second one off the ropes, but takes too long and just eats the mat. Uh, second ladder slung into the ring. And a, and a powerbomb on, on Zebra off the ladder for good measure. Jody Fleisch moves out of the way of a splash, but takes a front suplex. Zebra gets another ladder kicked in the face before taking another runner. On his own in the ring, Jody starts to make the climb. Zebra leaps up the ladder, but Jody sticks his foot out to try and spring off the ropes, uh, only to slip off the ropes and fall to the outside. I'm not sure how well planned that spot was, but thankfully he seemed to get up all right afterwards. Uh, he rolls back into the room to powerbomb Zebra off the ladder. Jody, Jody climbs the ladder, but only gets take a spear from the ladder. Um, not quite as impressive as Edgy Spears, <laughs> which is a sad fact in its own. Man Jody still manages to get up and push Zebra back to the outside. Uh, back on the outside, they, they start brawling, and Jody's in the crowd once again. Another ladder comes out, and Zebra splashes a chair onto Jody while they're both on the outside. Back in, ladder's placed in the corner, and Zebra misses a chair-assisted poetry in motion. Jody stalls as he decides whether to 
whacks Zebra with the chair and gets a guard shot with a ladder for his troubles. Knee a little low on Jody Flank is followed by a slam as Zebra goes up to nail a splash. Uh, for the first time in this match, someone is actually staying down. Uh, a pile driver on Jody, a pile driver on Jody, just to make sure. Uh, so Zebra picks Jody up, puts him in the corner, hits a low blow, and a certain section of fans really seem to be into that. That's the Norwich crowd for you, I guess. <laughs> Jody manages to join Zebra as they're both climbing parallel ladders to get to the top. They both knock each other over. On the outside, Zebra scoops up Jody and, I don't know, he must be wearing the same type of knee pad that Undertaker was at WrestleMania 8 because whatever he did on the outside was enough to, to keep Jody down as he scaled the ladder for the win. Sounds like a pretty good TLC match there. Um, I can't say I've, I've checked it out yet, but um, you've certainly sold me on it, Adam. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I think it was Jody will face um, later on. I think it might be next year's Flash Barker in a ladder match at Uprising. Sound very similar to that one. Yeah, it's certainly. Yeah, I can certainly see why they they went with Jody for that match. I, you're you're thinking of the one with the big moonsault, aren't you? I am, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is, because I guess this one could be seen as a precursor to that. I mean, these these guys did really sort of go all out. I mean, they they didn't really worry about selling too much. But then again, in these matches, that doesn't seem to be a thing anyway. I mean, this granted this happened like four weeks after after the TLC match. But I think for, for the crowd in Norwich, I'm guessing most of them were, wouldn't have made it to Texas. So I think there was just something about this that made it special that, this, that such a big event was happening just for them. Uh, and they were certainly into it. Like I said, um, like I said at the start, both these guys had their fans, and it's it did kind of almost have an Austin Rock feel with regards to the fan support, where you know Zebra's fans seem to have a lot more bass in their voice, as Jr. would put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, as you described it, I could understand why why you were sort of saying that this probably should have been the main event rather than the academy kids going on last. I mean, this was clearly the match that everyone wanted to see and was, was invested in. I think it worked well coming not soon after TLC. I think everyone was sort of in that sort of mindset to, to watch a match like this again quite soon after the, I would say a month after what we saw at X7. So yeah, all, all sounded really good. I, in terms of like the, the not selling and stuff, I mean, yeah, I guess that's, Kind of what we're sort of already kind of accustomed to with like the WCW cruiserweights, <laughs> but but no, I I I put it on a on a on a decent level certainly. Yeah, we're I, be I, independent wrestling. I think there's going to be plenty of no selling lads. Plenty of oh, that. Yeah, yeah, True. yeah. Uh, that's that's a fair assessment. Hmm. But yeah, no, I, it's it's weird because I've I've known. Zebra for the for just over ten years now, and it's weird seeing him here as he's rocking a full mullet. And it's like, and <laughs> people people make jokes about how behind the times Norwich is, and it's like, well, one of their favourite sons was rocking that hairstyle. But then again, knowing Roy like no Roy, um, I wouldn't be the person to tell if he's gone out of style. <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely wouldn't want to meet Zebra Kid in a dark alley and tell him that his, his mullet's no good. That's for sure. From what I've heard on the internet, anyway. 
Ah. Okay, so um, shall we move on, chaps? Or did you get everything you wanted to say there, Adam? Um, I think I'm now pretty much everything. Yeah. Okay then. So um, the match I decided to choose was um, from CZW's best of the best, the the first best of the best. It was a um, round robin tournament. Um, the show was held in New Jersey, of course it was, in um, the Champs Arena, with 400 strong on hand. And uh, the first rounds were all three ways, and then the quarterfinals obviously go into singles matches. And then the final was, it was a straight singles match yet again, and um, it was ended up, Winger was the one who ended up winning the uh the final match beating Trent Acid. And um if you do follow CZW, you know that um Winger isn't um gonna be someone we're gonna be mentioning much or probably ever again, to be perfectly honest. And Trent Acid was in the midst of a big push at this time, so it's quite surprising that Winger went on to do as well as he did. It's with the match I was just gonna say, um the weird is weird thing about Trent Acid I've um, first wrestling show I ever worked. Everyone there was start just called me Trent, and because apparently I look a lot like him, and I'm like, how? One, I have a beard, and he's never had one. And two, I'm more sober. I'll, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll, not <laughs> as high as a kite, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's the hair, Adam. I think it's definitely the hair, mate. <laughs> it's yeah, I guess it wasn't as grey back then. <laughs> it's because you worked in British independent wrestling, mate. That's why it's so grey now. Um, I am not going to argue with that one. <laughs> so the, the match I decided to choose was uh, Mark Briscoe versus Jay Briscoe. Two skinny kids. Um, I believe Jay is 15 years old and Mark will be 16 at this point. Um. Wearing the musty, terrible singlets that they decided to choose to wear for this. I was a bit shocked, but it's got a lot of buzz on the internet at the time. Um, so I'll, I'll get straight into the match. Um, before the match, Dewey Donovan, who is the Briscoe's manager, he comes out. And um, he likes to say that he's got a lot invested in these two guys. And he doesn't want them to kill one another. And he also... Does some generic hill stuff where he says Delaware doesn't deserve this match, blah, blah, blah. Which, you know, of course, leads to the CZW fans to tell him to suck dick because, of course, it's CZW. Um, Dewey then decides that Jay is the winner of the match, but the referee is having none of this. And it is announced that Dewey Donovan is banned from ringside. So Mark and Jay... Both had shake hands, and then Jay goes straight into an arm drag to onto Mark for a polite applause from the crowd. Someone rightly points out in the crowd, shouting, "Which one is Mark and which one is Jay?" At this point, I could not tell either. So, bear with me if I get a few um, spots wrong because they look very, very similar. Um, both very skinny, like I said, very skinny, tall, lanky, with short hair. Mark applies a headlock to his brother and takes him down. Jay bridges out to another polite applause from the crowd. The crowd at this point was 
how do I say this? It was a CZW crowd. They were being um, kind of polite, but if you know what I mean, you know, um, CZW crowds aren't exactly the nicest crowds in the world. They're harsher than the ECW crowds, that's for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, it reminded me of the, yeah, like the ECW crowd will, will, will applaud occasionally for things, but it won't take long before they're effing and jeffing. But yeah, on you go. <laughs> but yeah, there was um, obviously at this point, the brothers are doing some great chain wrestling, exchanging holds. And obviously, because there's no commentary to this show, thank God we don't have to listen to Eric Gordjewel or John House screaming. Um, you can hear the crowd quite audibly, and someone does like to point out. Um, Jay and Mark's sexual preferences to for one another, which again doesn't surprise me as a CZW crowd. Both brothers continue to put on some fine map map work, then go back and forth, and with some false finishes. Obviously, it leads to lots of one counts and two counts. The crowd mock them with a holy shit chant because it's CZW fans. Sorry, I don't need to get on CZW fans' case, but you know this match review it will redeem them towards the end mark rolls to the outside and jay does a fake springboard which ends up with him back in the ring the brothers pick up the tempo with a crisscross and a pair of leapfrogs on one another jay then nails mark with a wheel kick that's for you easy e they go back to arm drags and a pair of head scissors which the crowd legitimately come unglued for at this point they seem to have won them over a big German from Mark to Jay. Then Jay nails his brother with a lovely-looking Northern light suplex for the first of many near falls. Mark then comes back with a springboard knee drop for a two count. Jay then comes back with his brother with another snap suplex and a tombstone. And guess what, lads? This leads to a near fall. He then goes up top and hits Mark with a frog splash. And guess what, lads? It leads to a two count. Mark uh, battles back with a DDT. Jay then battles back with a double underhook. Let's call it a Tiger driver. It was some sort of fucked up power driver anyway. <laughs> Which the internet has dubbed the J-Driller. And I think that's uh, quite a, a good little name for that um, move. The crowd is firmly behind the match now. Uh, they've stopped using their sexual slurs and uh, chanting holy shit. Back in the ring, Mark uh, hits his brother with a perfect plex and follows it up with a Hunukan Rana from the top rope to the outside. The crowd chants, fuck the Hardys, because it's CZW. Mark then starts his no-selling. Actually, this entire match, both Mark and Jay were uh, definitely guilty of no-selling. Uh, Mark heads up top and Moon sells out onto his brother, who's laid out on the floor. So that was uh, quite a, a sickening bump onto Mark's knees. Uh, I did feel bad for his knees for that one. Mark rolls his brother back into the ring, covers him for a near fall. Jay then battles back with a Northern Knights suplex off the top rope. The crowd is now well and truly behind these two skinny kids. They begin by chopping one another back and forth. Mark then nails Jay with a reverse DVD, dropping his brother right on his head. It looked, well, it looked very unsafe, but... You know, being as young as they are, you can sort of forgive them. Yes, folks, that was nasty as hell. Again, it only leads to another near fall, because of course it does. Mark spikes Jay with another power bomb, but Mr. Moonsoul, Jay then hits his brother 
with not one but two full Nelson overhead slams. Again, that looked really nice. Um, and then, guess what? It led to a near fall. <laughs> Both men then end up on the top rope, and Joe nails his brother with the sloppiest-looking Tiger driver to pick up the win. And that is basically that match over and done with. Um, obviously, I really love this match. Uh, that's why I decided to pick it for this month. Um, it was uh, sort of at the time everyone was going on about it on Death Valley Driver. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a big spot fest. And you can tell they took a lot of inspiration from the WCW cruise rates. And yeah, there's no psychology, but who cares? You know, it was just 15 minutes of those two going out there. And absolutely throwing it all balls to the wall. You know, these two kids are definitely getting a lot of talk now. Going forward, the, the internet has dubbed them the new hot things to watch for the month. I'm sure that'll change. But uh, anyway, dear, any dear listeners out there that want to go and check this match out, or was a fan of Ray in 96 and WCW, they should definitely go and check it out. Just turn your brain off and don't worry about the selling side of things yeah almost watch it on mute as well just for the turns how you are with the with the crowd being the way they are but yeah win them over towards the end of it which which is always good to see but yeah there was always those few people that were in the crowd that just wanted to be assholes and um well yeah there's always someone trying to put themselves over in the crowd isn't it just just because they're sitting in the front row thinks that thinks they're actually part of the show but there we go Oh, yes. There will be plenty of that going forward, lads. Don't you worry. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, sounds sound great. Yeah, sounds good. I, I only ever think of the Briscoes as the ring of as guys from Ring of Honor. I don't really think of them being elsewhere. But, yeah, they've always not... I'm, I feel bad to not seen a great deal of them, but I have heard... I've, so I've always heard great things about them. And it's just one of those things I've never really followed the sort of the products that they're involved with so i've never really seen a lot of them um but again i um also but on the other side i i'm not a big czw fan i i've met dj hyde a few times and get on great with him but never um just like i've seen the some of the guys they use i just look at and think they're not that impressive they just they just don't do it for me but, you know, then again, if, if you have great workers, then, of course, you're going to have a great match. You have, even well, if you have great flyers, you can, you're can you at least going to have a great spectacle, which um, it sounds like this match was. I actually uh, I think it's probably, I'd probably have more interest in, in watching this than, than the other match I'm going to be covering shortly. Right. So let's get on to our second round of matches that we've all chose. Um for tonight's show and uh dan back to you my friend uh what was the second match you decided to choose so my uh second match actually caught me by surprise so i was sort of looking around sort of seeing what matches were well what, what events were going on in 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 may and uh some of the poss- possibly a nice little gem here so it's from memphis championship wrestling which was uh jerry laura's sort of um, short run promotion he did in 2001 whilst he was, let's just say, away from the WWF. So when I, saw, when I think of Memphis Wrestling, I think of like Lawler in the 70s, but this was something completely separate. That it was just a sort of a six-month uh, thing he set up 
as I say, sort of while he was not working for Vince. Um, and the match I've got in question was is uh, Brian Danielson versus William Regal. Um, yeah, so very surprised when when I found that this this match was in existence. So um, Matt, so introductions sort of start. Regal comes out full, fully pantomime villain, gesticulating with the fans. I think one of the fans sort of gave him a, a DX salute, and then he just waved them off as as he would as a normal heel would do. And then second out, we have an eighteen year old, I believe, Daniel. Um, sort of Brian Danielson. I, I'm going to get that mixed up throughout. I can tell, <laughs> like a generic um, American wrestler with you know, stars and stripes on one leg, and then the the dragon is the he is the American dragon, I should say at this at this point. And yeah, just well, I'd say it's sort of a generic haircut. I mean, he's kind of gone back to that occasionally through his career, and a single sort of white elbow pad. So yeah, very much someone who had about five minutes on a create a wrestler mode and then come up with this and then left it. But, but before the match starts, Regal cuts a, a heel promo, sort of denouncing the crowd and, and also saying he's going to teach them manners as he would, as you would see in the WWF. And uh, Danielson just says, no, I'm not, I'm not a coward. I'm not going to lose. I'll stick up for myself. Lovely young baby face he is. Anyway, into the action and what action we have. So Regal starts with a cravat takeover into a wrist lock. Danielson escapes with a Owen Hart style sort of reversal into a wrist lock of his own, but then Regal beating the master back down to another takedown into another wrist lock. This time, Brian uh, reverses through a cartwheel and throws in Regal into the ropes. Rope, Regal being the classic heel, holds onto the ropes, ducks under them, so the referee has to break the hold. Standing arm bar by Regal into another takedown, uh, Brian attempts to head scissors but no avail, and Regal wrestles him back down, even more groundwork, but Brian escapes. A little bit of sort of respect kind of posturing, maybe a bit more of uh, Regal's waving to the crowd before they go back back to the to the grappling. Head scissors and the headlock take down by Brian this time, and now the pace is sort of quickens, and we're kind of out of the grappling sort of part of the match into more of the, the sort of traditional wrestling. So drop down, um, leapfrog into a drop kick, whip into the corner and into a monkey flip. As you can say, the pace now sort of picking up more into the um, Daniel Bryan sort of style. Regal then sort of sidesteps though, as Bryan sort of rushes in and into the into the ring post, out to the floor. Bryan now holding his shoulder and out for like an eight count. Back in the ring, Regal brings him up, brings him up into the ring. The vicious European uppercuts, and now you can see that Regal is getting to, into his sort of vicious mean streak that we've been accustomed to recently and a foot choke into the cult. In the corner, referee then breaks the hold. Regal goes for a uh, vertical suplex, but Brian reverses and hits an integuri, gets a two. Um, Regal quickly cuts off any comeback and with a butterfly suplex and a two for himself. As I said before, this is now sort of back into the into the sort of striking part of the match rather than the grappling as we go from punches then into trading of European uppercuts with Brian actually coming out on top and Florian Regal sending him down to much to William Regal's chagrin. I guess this is the besmirchment he's been trying to avoid for so long. Whip into the corner from Daniel Bryan and a back body drop, snap suplex and then Brian goes up. This is me thinking, well, this is the point where Regal will reverse and get the sneaky win, but no. Brian off the top, missile drop kick, one, two, three, and the shot win for the youngster. 
only sort of seven minutes long. Could have easily been 17. Would have gone, could have gone on forever. Lovely match. Great technical start with the with the uh, pacey finish. Happy to watch it again. And yeah, I'm I'm glad to, to be able to bring it to you guys. And I'm sure you'll agree when you get around to watching <laughs> yourselves. It was um, a bloody good match. It was a short one as well. So, yeah, no, this, um, I think it's going to be very difficult going forward trying to refer to Brian Danielson rather than Daniel Bryan. But uh, we'll, we'll give it a go, won't we, lads? Just, yeah, exactly. just call him the dragon. It's fine. Yeah, well, there, yeah. We I, I think, well there we go. I think you've said it, everyone, Adam. I, I think for the time being, I'll, I'll change my notes to to do find and replace for anything that says Brian to, to dragon anything that says Danielson to dragon then as I read it back to you it will just say dragon <laughs> no idea but no, lo- lovely match and but um, expectations were, were high and but rightly so I mean of course I would have, would have liked longer but being as it's a pretty much virtually a, a rookie Daniel Bryan and we were coming down to Memphis basically to do a clearly a, a, a favour it was only going to go sort of like the seven, eight minutes I mentioned. But yeah, lovely. Uh, it's interesting to, to note that, I mean, this sort of match probably wouldn't happen now because um, Vince doesn't allow guys to work outside uh, outside the Fed. But it's, yeah, it's, it's weird to think of a WWF guy appearing anywhere but the WWF in 2001. But um, I, it happens. I'm saying that I'm, in my match, my about technically as a WWF guy, but still, it's um, yeah. I mean, the, these two have obviously faced up a couple a uh, few times in the Fed. Um, I've seen a couple of those matches, and you know they're pretty much as good as you'd expect from these two. You know, you've got two of the best in the world. Wasn't and, it the finale of of the initial season of NXT that had these to have a match? Was the it was I think it was like the first episode. Oh really? Wow. Yeah. Well. Yeah, because uh, Danielson got eliminated. Like he was a he, he was the first one eliminated or something. Yeah, so he, I, he, I, I, he was I thought they might have back for, for, for the for the season finale. I know obviously not in the main event, but I thought he might have been on the the undercard. But yeah, I believe yeah. that was the Jericho match on on the first episode. Um, but oh, well, I know they wrestled quite a few times on um, one of the B shows. Because yeah. they had him come out to Real Man's Man, and it was that was the rib and everything on uh, Regal in the UK, if I rightly remember. Yes, I'm pro- we're probably all getting this wrong, but you know, almost certainly, yeah. But, but there I'm sure some smart Alec is going to correct us all. You know, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, that's yeah. what they have comment sections for. <laughs> true, true. Yes, just remember it's on on Facebook. We're twenty uh, pressing. 20 years ago podcast and tw- wrestling 20 YRS on no indies 20 YRS on, on Twitter. That's it, Adam. Well done. You got there in the end, mate. Well done. Uh, well, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's it, like you said, it's the first episode. We're just getting into the swing of all this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have got uh, it's exactly, mate. We're, we're going to be fine. It's, it's, <laughs> We're trying our best here. We, we, none of us have done a podcast before. It's, it's going to be fine. <laughs> so, Adam, what was your second pick for the uh, for the month? Yeah, so so like I've uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's it is a WWF guy in an, in an indie show. It's um, it's Sean O'Hare who just been signed to the WWF at this point um, from the WCW closure 
Um, and he is taking on the UPW heavyweight champion in Samoa Joe. Oh. And let's just say Samoa Joe looks a little different here. He's um yeah, he is considerably smaller than than how he would come to be known um in even his his Ring of Honor days. He's Yeah, what chance is he wearing the brown t shirt? He's wearing the yeah, he is wearing the brown yes. t shirt and, and he's got the, the and the two stri- striped trackies, yeah. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. It's yeah, bringing I, back I, lots of memories. I had a quick note of him being a, sort of a, a slightly bigger Chris Chetty at this time. <laughs> <laughs> the, with the sort of, yeah, the, the not quite Adidas tracksuit and the, the top, yeah. But, yeah. yeah, very, very interesting to see. No, I mean, yeah, because uh, it, it's interesting because he does look kind of like a generic indie guy, but he does... Um, even this early in his career, I think he's only about two or three years in at this point. He's um, he still is showing um, signs of you know the great worker that he, he, he was a pretty good worker in this match, and he obviously goes on to be amazing just a couple of years later doing uh, with all his Bring of Honor stuff, which um, is way most of his reputation comes from. Despite most of the people who tell you is amazing, probably haven't seen that run. I mean, I'm, I myself, he's seen a couple of the Ring of Honor matches. So, um, so yeah, this is for a TV taping. This is the event Power Play, and yeah, this, like I said, this event featured uh, featured both the WCW Tag Team Champions. Uh, Chuck Palumbo picked up a victory over Mickey Henderson early in the evening, and here his partner Sean O'Hare is challenging for the UPW Heavyweight Title. Um, UPW at the time, it wasn't. It was mostly a training school, and it was actually a lot of uh, which is where. At this sort of era, a lot of uh, the WWF were going to them a lot for trainees. It's it, where I believe Kurt Angle started training, and it's where they picked up Cena from. And um, the relationship drops off, and then uh, towards the end of its life, it picks up again. So I think it, I, I believe it's over thirty people who came from this training school have since found jobs in the WWF at one stage or another. Joe, of course, being uh, a more recent example of. Are one of the later ones I picked up. But let's start. Okay, so it starts with a lockup. Sean backs Joe up into the corner. Uh, I go for another one. Joe this time backs Sean up. Uh, they scrap a bit in the corner. Joe uh, whips Sean across the ring. Uh, Sean backflips out and nails Joe with a spin kick. No cover. The announcer says that's just disrespect to, to their champion on the path of Sean O'Hare. It's uh, another word for inexperience, I guess. Uh, Sean whips him off into an elbow shot and a knee lift, release suplex for a one Joe sidesteps a corner charge, reverses a kick into a dragon whip, I mean that's just a great not to whip each other into the corner lads, you're both, it's not working out well for either of you uh, after some boots Joe starts working over on uh, the knee and locks on a leg bar Sean eventually realises his arms are long enough to reach the ropes uh, Joe doesn't let Sean get up Maybe it was disrespect earlier. Maybe I'm not reading enough into it. Um, I mean, hell, I know I'd not want Joe to be mad at me, but then again, I'm also not six foot seven. So Joe puts him in the corner. Uh, I guess Sean may be young, but he's no baby. Joe works him over with strikes and wrenches the knee against the ropes, hits a running drop, uh, drop kick into Sean's knee, which is tied up in the corner. I guess the third charge was the charm. Joe slowly applies a single leg grab, but Sean grabs the ropes. Uh, think this ring must be deceptively small. Uh, Sean fights up, but Joe cuts him off by kicking him in the knee. 
uh, before hitting a running in Seguri for two that really, really looked good. And um, I think he still does it now. It looks just as amazing. One announcer brings up that Sean is primarily a tag wrestler and one half of the current WCW Tag Team Champions. Uh, the other announcer asks if that means that Joe will get the title if he beats him. I know people in wrestling aren't considered book smarts, but that is a stupid question. Although, saying that, it still wouldn't be the worst way. That title has changed hands. No, Rory, I still haven't forgiven you for making me watch Halloween Havoc 1998. <laughs> Joe gets back on Sean in the corner, but Sean spins him round and starts working over till Joe hits him in the throat. Sean reverses the whip to the buckle, so Joe just drop kicks him in the knee again. Can you just stay out of the corner now? It's re You just keep getting reversed. Uh... Only one time at four has that not worked out badly for either of you. So, guys, just stop it. Uh, so, Joe slaps on a leg lock and Sean can't reach the ropes. Well, the first time anyway. Uh, he's got some really brilliant facials here. It's just a shame that most of the time he's showing them to the canvas. Um, and for someone who's never worked an indie show prior to this, he really seems to have picked up that habit really well. And if you're an indie worker listening to this and you take offense to that, maybe you should just stop doing it. Look at the camera for once in a while. So, uh, <coughs> start working over by the cat by the ropes, but uh, Sean O'Hare blocks a punch and starts firing back. Irish whip to Joe, but he ducks a clothesline, but not the second one. And Sean waits for him to get up again because he didn't learn from the last time around. Another whip, Joe grabs the ropes, Sean waist locks him, and Joe, uh, Joe rolls through with an ankle pick and slaps on a leg bar. And he taps the ropes because. Because either he's Stretch Armstrong or this rig is only the size of two king size beds strapped together. Um, Joe hits his, uh, sorry, Sean, sorry, hits his reverse Death Valley driver called the Road to Hell and sets up and sits Joe up so he can jump off the rope and snap his neck with a movie called The Good Intentions. Uh, while it looks really impressive, especially for someone of Sean O'Hare's size, it would be just as effective to do it from the ground. I don't want to poop on your parade, but still. Um, Sean gets a two off that, um, and then because uh, sorry, Sean gets a two off that because Mikey Henderson runs in. He lost to O'Hare's partner Palumbo earlier in the evening, and I'm not reviewing that. No, you can't make me. I don't care what you pay me. How much still? Or well, maybe I'll think about it. Oh no, I can't find it. Maybe another time. Joe kills this uh, O'Hare. Sorry, kills this kid with a clothesline and puts the boots to him because we can't have him getting up despite the fact he's not the champion. Um, Joe uses his direct, uh, distraction to hit the Emerald Driver and retain the UPW title after the match. Uh, Henderson hits a drop toe hold on Sean O'Hare so Joe can drop a knee to the back of the head. And as they start putting the boots to him, Plumbo runs in and starts nailing everyone with a good sol solid punch until the camera fades away. Um, I mean, not, like I said, not the greatest match I could have chosen, but it's certainly from a historical context an interesting one because you... Look, because what Joe looked like physically here didn't exactly stand out. And of course, Sean O'Hare always looked like a monster. He was easily always my favorite of the natural born thrillers, which is kind of like saying my favorite plague of Egypt. But Sean, <laughs> but Sean did show a lot of potential, especially early on. It's just a shame that it never really went anywhere, especially with his kicks. His kicks in here look fantastic. Um, but yeah, so what you're telling me, Adam, is you're not a fan of above-average Mike Sanders. How could you not? 
Well, he is only above average. <laughs> I wanted to, if I was going to be a fan of anyone who was above average, it was me. And I've watched a lot of my comedy career and I'm still not sold on it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, 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 the first, first time I actually appeared on his OCW event, I think I did a full review for each of them. And I think the word I used constantly was Bree. I, I think the best review I gave of one of them was Reno. It was a case of he's got a. He's got a cool finish with with interesting hair, and that's the best thing I could say about him. Um, you'll have to go back to WCW, and I believe I believe that was a New Blood Rising pay per view. Um, I can't think what else I said on that show because I've tried to block it out. And no, Rory, I've not forgiven you for that one either. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's, like I said, it's, it's an interesting sort of time capsule. Um, Knowing where where these guys go, because obviously, um, you know, Sean Sean looks like he's gonna be like a big thing. He's going into the Fed. I mean, he's as I may have hinted at here. He's showing. He's still showing. He's very green, um, I, or that he's just not quite got it all yet. By the fact that he's um, when Joe's down, he doesn't. He just waits for him to get up, which. I mean, it could be perceived like the answer said. It could be perceived as arrogance, or it could it could just legitimately be where he's not sure what to do. But he he does make a fairly good account of himself. Um, anyway, and like I said, his his facials, especially when Joe was sort of slapping on the submission holds, when he looked at the camera, looked really good. And that's something I think um, I think he served a lot of time in OVW where they they told where they you know got it into his head that. You know your face is your sell is your main selling point when you're in the ring, and um, from what from what Jim Cornette once told me, um, it didn't. He still couldn't get. He still couldn't grasp promos even once the Fed called him up, which is which is a shame. Uh, they he so he had his finish. I think it's called like the Widow's Peak or something when it uh, when he came back from OVW, which they was called the. Uh, the road to hell, and then he had the next snap off the top, which he called good intentions because the road to hell is paved with good intentions, which sounds great in theory. But if you watch, you watch the next snap, and you think you could just do that standing, and it would be equally yeah. as impressive, a lot yeah, less I, effort. I thought that, and, I thought visually it looked good, but yeah, in terms of if you're sort of how you actually sort of run the match. The next snap didn't have any more greater impact with him coming off the top. It was just yeah. the next snap, which is yeah a bit unfortunate. But yeah, visually it looked good. But yeah, I, I, once you've seen it once, then you're like, oh, it doesn't actually. It's not a finisher. It doesn't really do much. But yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think I think for this for this match, I think if both guys you can put under the sort of the, the umbrella of potential. Like you can see it in both of them. But then yeah, and as we'll see in the years coming on, only one of them really realizes it. It is a shame what happened to Sean. Um, you know, he, he he obviously went too early. Um, that's that's my opinion of it all. And I think he should have, because in two thousand and three, I know once um, I know I think it's two thousand and four actually. He gets released and he goes to Japan. He has quite quite a good showing over there, and then he sort of disappears completely. So my my ideal for him would be that you know go. After this, he go to OVW, maybe go over to Japan for a bit, and then 
come into the Fed, a little bit more seasoned. Yeah. But okay. unfortunately, it didn't quite happen for him. And, and, and Joe took the longer route, really, at the time. He, he went to 0-1, trained under Hashimoto, and it got really good. And then, obviously, the legendary Ring of Honor run, which I'm sure we're going to cover at some point <laughs> coming up. And then into TNA. And obviously, Joe got the, the WWE gig after that and just like fired on all cylinders. And, um, yeah, it's just it's, it's really weird, like, how you would think, like, Sean O'Hare would become the big star. And it didn't happen for him, but it happened for Samoa Joe, who you look at this point and you don't think, like, anywhere that he's going to become a star, but it worked out for him. Although I did like um, one, of the, one of the things that sort of came up a lot in the during the play-by-play, so that, you know, every time that Sean was, once he Worked worked over the knee a bit. Every time Sean O'Hare looked like he was going to start firing up, Joe would just kick him in the knee. In its case, of course, if that's exactly what you do in this situation. You work the guy's knee over. He's starting to build up a fight. Just kick him, knock him down. It's what it's like. A, it's just a subtle psychology thing that makes so much sense. But a lot of a lot of guys just wouldn't wouldn't think to do. Um, I and it's sort of yeah. It's, it's just one of those things that I think plays in, into. Uh, Joe's whole gimmick where he is just this um just this killing machine. He it doesn't have to be pretty, but so if it gets the job done, he'll do it. And yeah, it's a lot of people just seem concerned of, you know, making wrestling a beauty contest. We I mean, also I mean, that plays a little bit into the ladder match that I was reviewing earlier, you know. The they the ladders they were using were so were bl- was so just uh, wobbly, especially after they'd been beaten around someone's head, face a few times. Um, there's just something, it, it wasn't pretty, but it was like, okay, that there is just something, you know, so rough and ready about that. But, but yeah, um, it just, yeah, it just played in so well in these matches. Okay, thanks, Adam. Um, Samoa Joe versus Sean O'Hare. I did not know that this happened on this month. I'll be perfectly honest, and I know a few things about independent wrestling. Um, it's one I'm, I'm going to go and check out afterwards, and I think all the, the listeners should as well. Yeah, so, I, I only just sort of stumbled across as stumbled across because there was a couple of other matches I was thinking about doing, um, but one actually does have a rematch next match, which I might which I might consider covering. Um, but yeah, this one just sort of came up and I was like, I'll, I'll give that one a look, just just, just out of interest. Um, cause, partly because it doesn't involve Kurgan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that's, that's kind of what, what this is. We, we're, we're, yeah. find, we're finding things that we didn't think existed. So yeah, And I'm sure we're going to find some bizarre things that are going to go on. And um, Certainly. Yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to what we uncover next month, damn for sure. Um, right, so um, I'll go move on to my pick um, for the month. My final pick um, from XPW's Redemption Show. XPW um, had a big show this month, right at the end of the month, uh, called Redemption. Um, if you don't know about XPW, I'm sure there's going to be a lot that's going to come up. Over the next couple of months, um, 
on this podcast about Rob Black and uh, yes, he's um, funny ways of promoting shows. Let's just put it like that. Anyway, um, they were in the old ECW horn of the Grand Olympic Auditorium um, last year, I believe on this very podcast. Um, well, no, it would be the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, silly me. Um, it was covered in the Heatwave 2000 show. Um, so if you want to go and listen to it and uh, basically find out about XPW's invasion of um, ECW, then feel free. Uh, this show was packed full of former ECW alumni. Uh, John Cronus was on the show, as well as ECW, WCW guys. Um, Shaggy 2 Dope from the ICP was also there. Vampiro and uh, Major Guns as well. I'm sure you all remember Major Guns. And uh, the main event had um, New Jack replacing Sabu because, of course, Sabu didn't want to do the job to the Messiah in the main event. But um, there's no official attendance on this, but that's like a 5,000-seat building. So it looked half full and the lighting wasn't particularly great. But anyway, you know, I decided to pick... Uh, this match, it was the opener. It was Rising Sun and Ultra Taro versus Excalibur and Super Dragon. Uh, let's get into the play-by-play. It starts out with Rising Sun head-scissoring Excalibur to the floor while Ultra Taro does the same thing to Dragon. Rising Sun and Ultra Taro follow up with a stereo dive to the outside onto Dragon and Excalibur. Back in the ring, Ultra Taro and Rising Sun work over Excalibur in the corner. Super Dragon saves his teammate with a nasty-looking lariat to both men. Dragon and Excalibur work over Rising Sun now, but he battles back with a drop kick to both men. Rising Sun drops Excalibur with a toehold onto the ropes, with Excalibur draped over the ropes, and Sun runs at the ropes and holds on and does the same. Some sort of two-footed spinning kick. It'll become known as the 619 in uh, the WWE later on. Uh, Dragon then goes flying to the outside and misses the ring post completely. I think he was trying to run into the ring post, um, but completely missed it and just ended up on the outside, in, which was quite a comical error. And, of course, the XPW crowd chanted, you effed up. Back in the ring, Ultra Taro nails Excalibur with a Hunakarana and then dives out onto Super Dragon. Rising Sun and Excalibur then follow up with two dives of their own out onto Ultra Taro and Dragon. Of course, all four men are not selling. Dragon immediately gets back up and because he's got to get his shit in, he does a Sky Twister press off the top rope onto all three men. Back in the ring, Excalibur nails Ultra Taro with a fucked up looking version of a torsion fusion. If you don't know what a torsion fusion, go and look it up. It's uh, a very nasty move. And of course, it leads to a near fall. Archotaro battles back and follows it up with a Rey Mysterio-like inverted Honokarana off the top rope for a near fall. Super Dragon then springboards up onto the top rope and dives off with a spin kick. Onto Ultra Taro for a near fall. Dragon then nails Ultra Taro with a corkscrew 450. And guess what? It leads to another near fall. Because of course it does. Ultra Taro counters a power bomb into a rocker dropper. Yeah, but you didn't expect us to drop that name on this podcast. And then follows up with a springboard tornado DDT for, yep, another, you guessed it, near fall. At this point, 
I was begging the referee to call something as there was no legal man whatsoever. Dragon then power bombs Ultrataro into the corner and Excalibur nails poor old Ultratano with a double underhook Tiger driver. And of course, he doesn't go for the cover because why bother after doing such an impressive move? Then Dragon hoists up Ultratara for the Psycho Driver. Again, another sick move. If you have uh, ever seen that on YouTube, go and check it out. It's nasty looking. And hits it perfectly, but only gets a two count because Rising Sun breaks it up. At least he didn't kick out, I suppose. Cradle DDT for another bloody near fall because, of course, Dragon goes for another Psycho Driver, but Rising Sun counters it with a reverse Hunakun Rana, while announcer Chris Close proclaims that he had never seen that before. He obviously hadn't seen any WCW in 96 or Rey Mysterio whatsoever. Rising Sun knocks Excalibur to the outside and follows up with an Asai Moonsoul out onto Excalibur. Of course, Sun no-sells and heads up top again this time, giving a down Dragon a swan time bomb, but it only gets a two count. Of course, Dragon and Sun pop back up immediately to be in place for the next spot as Sun springboards off the top rope, but Dragon fails to catch him properly, and Sun takes a nasty-looking fall onto his neck. So, of course, Dragon picks him up, drops him directly on his neck with the Barry White driver for the win. What could I say? Um, The last match was very, very sloppy, but I chose. Um, This was even sloppier, um, but I chose it for a lot of reasons. Um, It will lead to the birth of uh, Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Um, Super Dragon and Excalibur will put that all up together and it it pretty much changed the California independent wrestling scene going forward. Uh, The XPW crowd were not as vicious as the CZW crowd. I think there was a small chant of Power Rangers, which is to be expected. But once all four men started doing what their thing, they kind of were really uh, into it, which was, again, kind of a shock. I expected them to shit all over it. Uh, but it was a pretty historic show for XPW, and um, it goes down as um, a big match going forward, and it, it meant a lot to the California independent wrestling scene. And um, yeah, definitely a fun match, well worth checking out. Um, as you can probably tell, I picked far too many high spot matches. I think next <laughs> time I might decide to go with a shit match and a death match, but basically the same thing. But there you go. Ah, excellent, excellent choice. Loved it. Uh, gave me positive flashbacks to to some good uh, WCW Cruiserweight action. Sort of that, that, those matches you'd see either opening pay per view or in the first hour of Nitro. Sort of fast paced, sort of crazy spots. But yeah, all all fun for me. Uh, this is an interesting time for the indie things. It's kind of a changing of the guard. The ECW sort of hardcore style was always kind of the it was the indie style around this time. And it's sort of, it's about this point that it started to shift more towards the sort of cruiserweight style and then towards the Ring of Honor style. Mm. I mean, I'm guessing part of that was just the closure of ECW. Um, no, not ECW, sorry, WCW even. Um, yeah, I've, I'm going to be honest, don't really know anything about any of these guys. I mean, I've seen, I see Excalibur as an announcer when I watch AEW and he's knowledgeable but but irritating at the same time um 
on, on a completely unrelated note, I, I remember the conversation was over with Steve Carino. He said he would never work for XPW because he didn't want to work for a porn star. It's like, out of the reasons not to work for XPW, that's, that's quite low, I would say. But Don't worry, we'll be plenty more Rob Black conversation uh, going forward with the podcast, lads. So we can all talk about Mr. 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 Black and his, um, shall we say, eccentric lifestyle away from the wrestling world <laughs> and what he chooses to do. So I think that uh, rounds up our first official episode. I um, want to say thank you very much, Adam. Um, let the fine people know where they can... Uh, well, follow you, I suppose, or they stalk you, yeah, shall I say. Well, um, as has been alluded to in this podcast, I do, I am uh, an amateur comedian, uh, although not really been gigging a lot lately, but you can find out about all my gigs on my Facebook page. That's uh, facebook.com forward slash el.j.comedy, um, although at the minute it's mostly just me posting memes first thing on a Monday morning because, you know, <laughs> got to start the week off with a smile don't you get it out in some people's cases that just so they can get it out the way um obviously you got uh i'm in the twitter sphere occasionally uh at el underscore j uh or if you want hardcore uh political memeage i'm on the minds social media that's minds.com forward slash elj.comedy um Usually I post all the other things, post podcasts I'm doing, but I've not done any in a while. Um, I am due to start doing my angry liberal rants on the Mindfight podcast somewhere soon. Uh, but again, that'll be up on the Facebook page. So like that and you'll see everything I'm doing, which uh, including, you know, any any future announcements with regards to this one. Fantastic stuff. Thank you, Adam. And Dan, over to you, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Great first episode. I, I thought looking forward to seeing what we come up with next month and the future months going forward. Uh, for me, uh, if you if you feel the need to, to follow, uh, I at, on Twitter at Daniel S. Dewitt. Uh, in terms of things to to plug, I haven't got a, a long CV like like Adam, but I will give a shout out to our to our invariable hosts, uh, the Wrestling Twenty Years podcast, of course. Who you're listening to this on that this feed. Uh, so earlier. In May, we had um, myself and Rory talking through Insurrection and then released, I think, uh, possibly sort of last week or so, as you, you're hearing this. Um, Rory and Davinda went through uh, the rest of May for WWF, including uh, their review of Judgment Day. So give those a listen to if you haven't already done so. Thanks for doing that, Dan. I would have like totally forgotten to have that. <laughs> so. yeah, Good I, man. <laughs> I couldn't where we, where we came from. I think that would have been a bit bit rude of us to... That yeah, would have been a bit rude, yeah. I think I'd leave that job to you um, to remember to plug things because I will totally forget about it. <laughs> anyway, I've, I've been Billy Johnson and, um, yeah, you can uh, find me on the Twitter machine. I'm at Billy underscore J83. Or you can follow this podcast's fine account on Twitter, which is at Indie with a Y, not an IE, rest 20 years. Why? Oh, yes. So, yeah, uh, thank you for tuning in, everyone, and listening to the debut episode. Um, we're all looking forward to what we can do next month, and um, this, is, this has been fun. Thank you very much, and have a safe... Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>
<laughs> I don't know what I'm fucking doing here. I'll be perfectly honest. <laughs> Cheerio, everyone. Yeah, bye. <laughs> Someone else can do the hosting next month, for Christ's sake. <laughs>